The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Hey, friends, and thank you once again for joining me here on Afternoons with Mike on The Shepherd. I am coming to you once again from Indiana, and I do want to say thank you for all the prayers that uh, you've been praying for me and my family. As we've been up here, my mother has been gravely ill, and sad to say, yesterday in the afternoon, she passed away, went to be with the Lord. Now, she was a solid believer had her hope and her faith placed firmly in the Lord Jesus. And I'm grateful for the promise. As it is often said, we who are believers still grieve, but we grieve with hope. And that is exactly where I am today. So I want to say thank you for praying. Uh, You may have seen on my personal Facebook page, you may have seen a picture of me and my mom, uh, and I just want to honor her legacy, and so grateful for her, the life that she lived and loved the Lord in front of us meant so much, and it was such a model for me as I grew up, and I have so enjoyed all the years that I've had with my mom. She lived to be 93, and that is such a wonderful, wonderful thing to have your mom that many years. So I'm grateful to the Lord today. My heart is hurting, but I am so thankful for the the knowledge that I have and the hope that I have in Jesus. And I know you feel the same way. Uh, we're going to get into the program. Today will be the last of my interviews from the D6 conference. So grateful once again that I had this privilege of going down to the uh, hotel where they held the uh, event and was able to set up right in the middle of the expo floor and got to meet all these wonderful people and they were all just super friendly so grateful for that experience look forward to doing it again next year so right now let's join adam skullnick Uh, my interview with him today he is a floridian so here we go interviews from the recent d6 Well, this is a conference that's being well attended by people outside of Florida. Right now, I have somebody that is uh, a Florida resident, Adam Skullnick from CIA Boys Club. Now, I could stop right there and say, Adam, there's a lot in your name that's got to be explained. (laughs) I got to hear what this means. This is pretty cool. But first of all, welcome to The Shepherd. Thanks for having me, Mike. I appreciate it. This is really cool to get to talk to people, like I said, uh, that I've not met before, people who are really doing some unique outreaches, some really needed Bible ministry to uh, generations of people, young people. Um, there are there are ministries here that are going really only for parents. Mm-hmm. But then yours is like you're you're reaching out for those that are are young, and you have something to say. Yeah. So tell how did this come about? So CIA Boys Club was a thing that started at my church because there wasn't anything for the boys to do. Um, There was a little thing that sort of was happening while I was first joining the church that maybe like 15 or 20 boys would attend here and there that happened once a month. Um, And through just the way that life sometimes happens, that ministry sort of closed and went away and the leader had to sort of move on. 
Um, and I was volunteering in a lot of different places in the church. And so I was sort of, I had sort of become one of the faces people would go to when they had questions. And so a lot of people were saying to me, Hey, when are you going to do something for boys? And after like three months of that, I started to get annoyed if I'm totally honest. Um, cause I wasn't on staff at the church. I was relatively new in my faith and I was sort of growing and experiencing things. And I was like, why am I supposed to fix it? Like, what do you, what makes you think I'm going to do a thing for boys? Just cause I have boys. I have to be the guy that fixes it. Um, so somebody came to me and said, Hey, when are you going to do something for boys? And I had enough nerve that day that I was like, Hey, how come you're asking me? And she like was very taken aback. She was like, Oh, I, I didn't mean you literally like you work here. I just met you like the church. So I was like, first of all, shocked that probably nobody actually meant me and like how like arrogant am I to assume everyone just thinks that I'm so good that I can fix things. But what's interesting is after I got over the, I must be too arrogant and everybody thought it was me. I realized that there must had to have been a reason that it was so so personal to me when clearly it was not actually a personal like request mm-hmm, from people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took it personally. I decided that that was where God was leading me was to like start a ministry, and so I went online and I researched boys ministries and I came across six. Um, our denomination happened to have one that started. It was it's not part of ours anymore. They've kind of grown past that, but it had its roots in in our church's denomination. And so I was like, cool, I'm gonna use that one. Um, I brought it to our senior pastor. I said, here, I want to do this, and he said, nope. And he's not like a man of few words, so just nope was weird to me. Um, <laughs> so I, I had to pray about like why he meant no, and so I went back to him later on, and I said, hey, how how come you didn't? say is it because i'm a newer christian and you're not supposed to give them like the reins of things or like what is it he goes no 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 you're a great leader actually i would really like if you led something just not that um so i asked him why and the crux of of the why is the model for the that boys ministry was like paramilitary it's like a scouting like a boy scout style Mm -hmm. model um and so what ended up happening was i went back to the websites that i'd found remember i said that there were six they're all the same they are all boy scouts are a model like Boy Scouts. Mm-hmm. And so the problem is, if one wouldn't work, none of them would work, and there isn't anything else. So if I was going to do something, I was going to have to write it. Um, I'm a writer. I'm, I'm good at that. I have experience in other industries. Before I found um, faith in Christ and went to work vocationally in ministry, I, I was a hairdresser, and I, was a, I wrote curriculum for a hair color company, so I'm not, uh, not, not accustomed... Weird double negative there. I'm not, not accustomed to writing my own classes. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, I'll write something. So I wrote up six lessons. I figured out some games that would go with those lessons. I thought through like the problems that I saw in the ministry that kind of stopped serving at the church and some things I saw in youth ministry and things I saw in Sunday school. And I tried to pick an age group. Um, We have a ministry at our church called GEMS, which is an international organization for girls. And so I sort of said, well, what's GEMS doing well for girls? Let's do that. So I modeled it a little after gems and a little bit after like what I think boys are looking for. And I brought that to my, my pastor and he went, yes, this all day. Um, so I announced it to the church. We're going to start this. We did it the same night that gems was meeting. And I expected the same 15 or 20 boys that went to that other thing that I was going to that closed down. We launched that first night with 78 boys. Are you kidding? 78. Now that had to be encouraging. It was definitely encouraging. Uh, it was a little overwhelming, but it definitely, it did two things. Number one, it confirmed that I was right, that boys needed this. Um, and then number two, it confirmed that what I'd written would work. Um, we only had enough volunteers to handle the 15 kids I expected, but with that limited number of volunteers, I was able to handle all 78 of those boys without like complete and utter chaos. It's 78 boys, and so it was a little loud, but there was there was a manageable amount of chaos. So we did that. We ran it 
consecutively from that September launch date, uh, which was September 19 through December of that year. And when we took a break for winter, I started thinking like, it's not, there's no way we're the only church that has this lacking for boys. So I started doing research. And what I found was that the average church in North America has three times as many women's and girls ministries as boys and men's ministries. It's three, Isn't that something? Three to one. And actually my church is the poster child. We have literally, we have nine women's and girls ministries and three men's ministries. Um, so it's literally three to one. And so I thought, okay, there's got to be like something to that. And I started praying about like, what does that mean for me? How do I make this work? I wasn't really employed in ministry, but I sort of wanted to be. I felt God leading me there. Um, and so there was some praying and some soul searching. And I attended this meeting, um, this regional meeting of our denomination, where there was a lot of discussion about lack of leadership. And one of the things they said was there just aren't men stepping up in the church. There's men aren't coming. Women are bringing their kids and men are sleeping on Sunday morning. And so that was kind of sitting in my brain when COVID hit and everything shut down. And I worked part-time at the church in the maintenance department, but I don't know how to fix things. I'm just a people person. So what I would do in maintenance is I would outsource like um, a plumber or an electrician who wasn't a Christian. And then I would minister to them, preach the gospel (laughs) while they're fixing stuff, which was great when everything's open. But when nothing's open, no one's coming to the church, including like the contractors. So I was pretty sure I was about to lose my job. And I had just given up my real estate license to try to make a go of being in full-time ministry. Well, if I'm going to lose my job, I have three kids and a wife at home. I can't not have a job. Mm -hmm. So I said to the senior pastor, hey, um, what do I do now? Like, what is my role here? And he said, I don't know right now because, you know, nobody knew anything. Everything just shut down. Yeah. 2020 was a weird year, wasn't it? (laughs) Wasn't it? Yeah. Um, So he said, figure out what makes you valuable. And I knew immediately it wasn't maintenance. Um, so when we gathered up and said, okay, what makes you valuable? I said, here's what I think. I know that this is going to be a weird ask because we just closed our doors for how, like God knows how long, but I'm about to ask you to throw a bunch of money my way because I want to launch something. He was like, okay, bold statement. Let's have a lunch meeting. So we sat down, we ordered Wendy's, we sat down and we talked about it. And when I said, here's this ministry that I've been running CIA, um, we started it a couple months ago. He was like, yeah, I know I've come by. It looks great. Lots of boys. Super cool. What's your pitch? Like cut, cut to the chase. Like things are happening. The world's collapsing. Cut to the chase. And I said, I think other churches need this. I want to rewrite this program to be set up in such a way that other churches can pay for it and they can just drag and drop into their church from ours and just go. So I want to make a turnkey version of it that people can just be a member mm-hmm. for. And he went, oh, like gems, because his wife has been a gems leader for like 20 years. Um, I was like, yes just like gems only for boys and he went that's genius um so i chuckled that my senior pastor who i admire tremendously (laughs) just called me a genius um he gave me a very meager budget which was more than enough because i basically had everything already i just had to get a graphic designer to make it look nice um and we packaged what we now call the uh premium launch kit which is an entire year's worth of ministry and all of the additional resources and tools that you need as a church to run a full year of CIA Boys Club. And then I just had to work out, how do I partner with people? I called a bunch of churches around the country and I said, hey, I'm working on this thing. There's no packaging yet, but the material is done. Can I just give it to you and you try it locally at your, at your church? I called those like beta testing churches. I didn't charge them anything. I just sent them a Google form for feedback on every item that I gave them. We collected a ton of feedback. We reworked some stuff and then we launched it with a price tag and people kept buying it. So that was during the shutdown. Yeah. And we gained 12 churches 
while there were no churches open. They were like, when we reopen, we want this to be a thing we do. And we're now in almost 40 churches across North America. That's wonderful. What a great story. And I go back to that very first night when you had over 70 kids. Mm -hmm. I mean, you think about it. There are a lot of pastors who might be hearing this, wish they had 70 people in in their entire church. Yeah. And so, I mean, you you had 70 young guys. Mm -hmm. That's going to be not only significant now, but that's going to be significant for the church in five to ten years. Yeah. There's a lot of discussion right now about what the church of 2050 is going to look like. Yeah. Um, there's like cohorts getting together and saying like, what do we do when all the people who are faithful disciples of Christ have all passed away or retired, one or the other, and their kids who's have who now have kids are running like, what are we going to do then? And so part of what I think CIA serves in the community is not just a thing that boys can do, but a way of getting boys and men engaged in the church in a way that's exciting and draws them closer to Christ instead of just like an after-school activity that they can attend. So mm. it, it, it's designed uh, very missionally, um, very outreach-oriented. So if the first meeting doesn't go well, there's like, say there's 10 boys that attend, you don't have to have been to the first meeting to understand what's happening at the second meeting. They're all like microcosms of a larger theme. So you can come to one tell your friends who can come to another one and feel just as involved. And the volunteer level is super easy to grow because you only need one person who actually knows the material, who understands the Bible to teach it. Everyone else is just an extra body who cares about the boys that are there. And even if they only care about their son, they're there for their son and that's enough. So the sales pitch with most ministries is, Hey, you can teach a small group or you can, you know, come and learn about the Bible and then teach the Bible. A lot of men are not comfortable in their faith right now. That's like another problem altogether. Um, so our sales pitch for volunteers is, hey, do you like throwing dodgeballs? You're in. That's the extent of it. It's not any more complicated than that because they don't have to teach it. That's your basic requirement right there that you ba- need to have. Base level. Do you like to have fun? Because we don't like the volunteers to stand off to the side while the boys play. We That's want the awesome. volunteers playing with them because we believe very much that um, in Christ we're sort of all made equal and the world has lots of like levels. So like obviously fathers and sons, there's a hierarchy. The father is in charge of the son. But according to Christ, we're all brothers and sisters. And so in some way we have to teach our boys that we're all the same. And then there's just ways that you fit in in different places. But as far as Jesus is concerned, we're all the same people. Mm. So how do we make boys feel included? We make them feel like they're just as important as the adults in the room. And what would the boys say if they were here to speak uh, about these classes and what it means to them? What would they say? So some of the feedback that we've gotten is just that it's a whole lot of fun. I have I've noticed that boys are not often long for words. Um, so most of the time boys just say, this is a lot of fun and I'd like to come back. But some of the, the deeper conversations I've had with some of the boys at my church and, and, and my sons include, so both of my boys attend obviously. Um, and most of the time the feedback is super positive and engaging about the games and how they don't realize that they're learning the gospel. Cause our games are not like a side thing. We don't mm-hmm. play a game and then teach a lesson. Our games are all object lessons. So like when we play tag, it's like we mix in the idea of election into the game of tag. So what they're doing is they're playing tag, but when we're explaining the rules, we're weaving in the doctrine of election, which is like a high, a high like yeah, theology thing. Yeah, that's not a small thing right, right there. But when you really break down election, we are all sinful. We're all running from God. And then at some point, when God reaches out and touches us, we've been tagged. And now there's something very different about who we are. We're changed in our new postures to chase after people instead of run from God. Mm. And when we chase after them, what are we trying to do? We're trying to tag them, which changes them to be like we just became. 
That is amazing. Yeah, but they're playing tag. So the feedback is, I thought I was playing tag, and then somebody used the word election, and I went, oh, like tag, and realized <laughs> I just learned something. Um, I love it. Yeah, so it's it's really, the way that we've tried to set it up is that the boys are having so much fun that all they really know is that they feel like they want to come back, and all the extra stuff just kind of sneaks in. It, there's a lot of theology, but it's designed in a way that makes it so that the boys are just having a good time. And it's obviously working. It's working so far. That is wonderful. Adam Skulnick, my guest here for this segment. How can people find out about this uh, program? Yeah, so super easy. You go to ciaboysclub.org. Um, the very, very first page that you'll come to, there's a, a join the movement button right in the center of the screen or in the top right corner. You can click either of those. Um, that'll take you to the, the membership screen or the, the website is super user friendly. So you can find out all the information you'd like. You can get uh, there's a downloadable copy of a sample lesson you can look at. Um, we have a custom gospel presentation that we designed that's, that's uh, like a two minute or less elevator pitch, more or less how to pre- how to preach the gospel in three simple concepts. It's sin, salvation and service um, that you can download for free on our website. Um, or you can send an email, hello at ciaboysclub.org, and myself and one other person personally manage that, and you'll hear from us within a day or two. Ah, this is so really great. I'm so glad I got to meet you, Adam, and thank you for what you're doing. Absolutely. And I know I can speak for dads all across America here. Thank you for doing something that is maybe blasting people, guys and dads, off of a, off of a base and mm-hmm. getting them moving in the right direction. That's the hope. That is the hope. Yeah. And there's great hope. Thank you there so is. much. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate you having me. Coming up after the break, I'll have interviews with Jenna Halleck and also Lori Wildenberg. That's all ahead here on The Shepherd. Here on Afternoons with Mike on this Thursday, I have the last of my interviews from D6 today. I was able to talk to a young lady by the name of Jenna Halleck and after her, Lori Wildenberg. Both of these are from the D6 conference. So let's go back to those interviews. With Jenna Halleck right now at the D6 conference. Welcome, Jenna. Well, thanks for having me, Mike. It's fun to be here in Orlando. I love the humidity. (laughs) I'm sure there's some people listening going, what is wrong with her? Yeah, instantly all my listeners thought, huh? (laughs) Where's this lady from? Wait a minute, what? She likes it? (laughs) It's good for the skin, folks. It really is. And I I tell you, I have a hard time now, speaking of that, Mm. going out west. Where there's not humidity? Oh, I feel it. I live there all the time. From Littleton, Colorado, raised the family there. It is very arid, but we get the sunshine. Yep. So... Sunshine and lots of snow in the Denver area. Uh, Jenna, you're here. You're a pastor's wife. You are a breakout speaker here at the D6. Uh, You're with Family Ministries. I mean, your husband is the lead pastor of a church. But I know this is really in not only your heart, but his as well. That's right. Well, we've always considered ourselves a team and we've enjoyed raising our kids. I mean, we have launched one out into the world. Our daughter is 19 at Colorado Christian University and our son is 16 years old. So we have a couple more years with him at home and we're really looking forward to whatever may come all the fun college searches and things like that for him. But yes, we have approached our life as a family through a family ministry lens. As a pastor's family, we really wanted our kids to know that church is just not something that we do. It's who we are and that we love Jesus, not because it's daddy's job, 
but because we have a personal relationship with Christ and that it makes all the difference in our life, the way we live at home and the way we live in the world. I would be intrigued to know, did you guys, obviously you've taken those steps Mm -hmm. and you've let your kids know by just sharing and communicating that need, that directive, that desire. Uh, But there are so many, I'm sure you guys would have been like so many others who had some concerns for your kids, what would happen? Because not every pastor's kid has been successful in navigating those waters. Well, the sad reality is that, yeah, I think that there was a generation or two where dad's job was the church and it really was a job and kids were drug, you know, to and from the church building, whether they liked it or not. They were put under a microscope. There was certain expectations. And so we really did decide from the beginning that we wanted our kids to know they were a member of the church, just like everyone else. But there again, like I said, that we love Jesus. This is why we are doing this. We want them to love Jesus too, but that doesn't mean that they have to show up to everything. It doesn't mean that they have to be at the church all the time or that they have to serve in a certain way. Or they don't have to be perfect. They are. Have you met a perfect person recently? Yeah, that's exactly right. But yet some of these parents, I don't think they maybe intentionally set out Mm -hmm. to convey that. Mm -hmm. But I've talked to one after another, PK, in my years of ministry, where they felt that they had to be perfect, that they could not display Mm -hmm. any symbol of uh, rebellion or struggle or anything. Well, there's certainly some element of truth to that. Now, doing ministry in Colorado is sort of its own animal. I will say that. We don't have, we're not from the Bible Belt. You have people who are more unchurched than churched in the Denver area. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I will share anecdotally, it was pretty cute. Like when my kids would come rolling out on a Sunday morning, you know, this was probably upper elementary, middle school, like still in their pajama pants. I said, now listen, I'm not telling you to go change your clothes to go to church because you're the pastor's kid. If you were my kid under any circumstance, I would not let you wear pajama pants out in public. (laughs) You know, so I really tried to drill that home. I'm not asking you to do this because you're the pastor's kid. It's just because you're my kid. And I have standards and we're going to live by those standards just because... Your mom, you have a mom who cares. <laughs> and I think, too, I think taking the time for parents, for um, pastors who are also parents, uh, taking the time to communicate their heart, mm-hmm. uh, not only for them as PKs, not not as children of pastors, but but dearly loved by God Amen. and loved by their parents. Yeah. And I it, somehow that's got to come through. And you're right. I'm, I am grateful for all the generations that now have really aimed as you have done. This is exactly what I did in my life when there was a pastor I was working with and he and I both shared that because my generation is one of those generations of which you spoke Mm. where it was pretty much the norm for children of pastors to to not be serving the Lord. And that's one of the things that made me not want to be in ministry. But, uh, But God really heard our cry and uh, my children to this day will tell you how grateful they were that they got to grow up uh, being a PK. Wow. Well, and here's the truth. The relationship matters so much. It's a lot of what we talk about here at D6 and in family ministry is that you want your kids to know exactly what you said, that we love them, that God loves them, and that that is the foundation from which we're operating. 
the perfection or the expectations that other people may put on them are not as true as what the truth of who they are in Christ and who they are as a loved person in our family is. Mm. So we want to just communicate that over and over because the relationship with our kids is going to last a lifetime. And that's what we can continue to build on even when they themselves are out of the home raising their own families, etc. So I think we want to keep that at the center. Relationship with them, relationship with the Lord, central. Without a doubt, there's an all-out attack. It's like culture has aimed its uh, sights at uh, destroying families right now with this whole issue of gender. Yes. Are, are you, I, I'm sure in Colorado it's no different than in Florida. Oh, but no. this is this is the talk, mm-hmm. and the culture's just gone crazy. Well, I keep saying I think that families have to be able to stand on the foundation of God's Word. We have created too many choices for our kids. They have two choices. We're male and female. That's how God made us. And we as adults are the ones creating this confusion by making them feel like they have so many choices. Exactly. I mean, why can't our government leaders who talk about gender euphoria, they'll use all these big terms, gender confusion, Mm -hmm. and why is it that they are missing this point that when you start introducing confusing ideas at a very young age, mm-hmm. and they act like, oh no, they need to know that they need to, that it's the most insane thing I've ever seen. Well, and like you said, I mean, gender is the bedrock of family essentially, because God created man and woman to be united, to procreate, and to then share the faith with the next generation. Again, we're here talking about it, D six, right. and so when that starts to break down, obviously we have problems. And so our hope and our prayer at family time and in our the churches where my husband and I serve and lead is that God would just continue to be on the throne, that we would go back to the word, that our children would be raised to know the word, to have a biblical worldview, and to be able to understand the underpinnings of these issues, not from a political slant even, but mm-hmm. just foundationally, what does God say? Because he's so clear in his word and we're making a lot of gray areas for our kids and the other thing I would say is we want our kids to be able to stand up on their own two feet when they are in these environments where they come up with people who think differently from them because we do want them to be able to approach these topics as they get older of course you know when they're younger these are it's it's more challenging in some ways Um, hopefully they don't have to butt up against it until they're teenagers college age Who knows when they're going to hear these things first, but that they would know that they can come to us, have the conversation with a mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, a safe person with with a Christian worldview, biblical worldview, who can help guide them through those challenging situations and respond in a loving way to those who disagree with them. I think you're right. I think that is the key, keeping those lines open, affirming those lines regularly, and then adjusting as they get older. Don't take the same message the same way to Correct. a to a, a, a 13 year old that you did when he was five. Absolutely, and I think we make that mistake a lot as parents. We don't. We simply don't know that we need to grow and adapt with our kids. Mm-hmm. And so we really do try to have. You know, it's more conversational when they're older. When they're younger, they truly do need to learn that 101. What does the Bible say? Jesus loves me. That's you know, truth of the gospel. 
and then they they are inevitably going to age into these much more difficult topics but then we've laid that foundation so that we can converse so that we can say let's go to the word together that's right that's right jenna it's really great to get to hear this from you and to realize that uh you're just one of many people now that are here with a heart to see a difference made in this culture praise the lord yeah it takes it's going to take all of us and we do want to see this next generation raised up yeah in the truth of God's word. They need it because of the things we've just discussed. Uh, They need that foundation. They need to know that there is truth. And we're all in this together. So thanks Mm. for having me. Jenna, thank you so much. Jenna Halleck from uh, Colorado. And thank you again. Thank you. Another one of the authors here at D6 is Lori Wildenberg. Lori, welcome. Thanks for having me, Mike. I'm excited to talk to you today. Well, this is really great. Now, you sound like you're up from uh, maybe uh, Michigan, uh, Wisconsin. I think my Minnesota accent it's is the mi- <laughs> slipping through, but I'm from Colorado. We've lived there for 20 years, but okay. uh, yes, it's yeah. it's still there. Uh, I hear <laughs> good, it, and it is delightful. <laughs> it's wonderful. I'm from originally from Evansville, Indiana. Oh, okay. So you know, there's not a, a, a the same kind of regional accent there but uh-huh. right across the river now that's a different story my wife grew up in henderson kentucky Ooh, and nice. uh so beautiful yeah. probably oh it's gorgeous yes. wonderful area but again very strong accent so i can i can hear these midwestern accents that's great laurie <laughs> what brings you what uh, is your row here at d6 oh well First of all, I'm so excited to be here. This is just an amazing conference for families and for pastors um, and ministry leaders. It's it's incredible. And I'm speaking on two different topics. Um, I spoke on help my child as a prodigal. And then I also am speaking on help your child overcome anxiety and depression. And so that that one is coming up on Friday. Now, you've written a couple of books. I've got them in my hand right now. Messy Hope. That is, that's an incredible title. I like that. Help your child overcome anxiety, depression, or suicidal ideation. Now, that word ideation, that's not a common word. Suicidal thoughts. Suicidal thoughts. So Uh the fact is, is that we're seeing, and it's grown, I believe, significantly, even in the last couple of years. Yes. COVID did not help things with this at all. Exactly. The last couple of years, now we have one in five young people considering taking their life. One in five. And several, I don't know what the percentage would be, actually have attempted to do so. Yeah. It's, yes. it's, it's uh, way above what it, what it ever mm-hmm. should be. And the, your other book that you've written is called Messy Journey. So this theme is there. Uh, uh, without the <laughs> Lord, we are a mess, aren't we? Yes, yes. And, you know, messy hope. Um, the reason for putting messy and hope together is because that's when hope rises. It rises in the mess. Yeah, it's not as separated from it. Right. Uh, we have to have uh, the beauty rising from ashes. Yes, exactly. And that's what's, that's what's got to happen here. So, you know, when you think about what you're dealing with, uh, going back to the kids right now that are dealing with these just horrible thoughts about uh, th- their lack of hope, horrible thoughts about perhaps being bullied, uh, and then just the general melees in our culture with all of the confusion, all of the yeah. stuff about gender. It's no wonder that a lot of our kids are really messed up. 
Yeah, it's a hard world that the kids are growing up in today, really hard. And it's also a kind of a hopeless one. And so I think what we need to do as, as parents, as ministry leaders, um, as people who, are, who can influence a young person's life, um, we need to do things that can cultivate hope. And there are, are four things that I could speak to kind of quickly right now. Absolutely. Jump that in there. I think would really be helpful. Um, in my book, Messy Hope, Help Your Child Overcome Anxiety, Depression, or Suicidal Ideation, I have an acronym that I use for hope. Um, H-O-P-E. H-O-P-E. So... Um, H for help and helper. If we can instill in our kids, rather than the Western mindset that, the, that we have mm-hmm. as far as like you need to be independent, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, handle it by yourself, we need to establish in our families and in our communities and in our churches um, a, a feeling of interdependence, not independence. Uh, so many parents think that they need to raise their children to be independent. And what I think they mean to say is to raise their children to be responsible. Yes, when and they stand alone independently. Yeah, to be able to be responsible for their, their behavior, their words, their stuff. Mm-hmm. Yes, be like responsible. That. But we want interdependence, and that's how God created us. Um, and it, it's evident in the garden, right? Eve was created because Adam needed a helper, a soulmate, a, a helper. Mm-hmm. And um, helping and helper are critical to our society, critical to our families. And those are the things that knit us together. So if we can start out in our families by showing that being a helper is valuable and also asking for help is a brave and it's a smart thing to do. It's not a weak thing. It's a brave thing to do. So to implement those ideas. And then the letter O, to have an out-of-the-box perspective. Like, what would be God's long-term perspective of this? Or, or perhaps why could I be going through this journey? What could be the, the potential result of that? Mm-hmm. To have more of a bird's-eye view. Now, the caution is we don't want to implement that out-of-the-box perspective when our child is actually in a difficult situation because that's going to feel like we're discounting their issue. But if we can raise them with with that idea when things aren't hard, so for instance, um, let's say that I felt disappointment over something, then I could articulate to model, well, God may have something better for me. This may not be the path I'm meant to be on. So if you can start articulating those sort of messages, but not in the middle of the moment. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so then also prayer. Prayer yeah, comes P, the P. P for prayer. Prayer is critical. So um, and when we're in a hard place, it is very hard, very, very difficult for us to pray for ourselves. So to have a prayer partner, I think, is is really important. We're up against a break right now, but we'll continue with Lori in a moment. Then following Lori in our next segment, it will be Rich Griffith. It's all ahead right here on Afternoons with Mike. 
Back again for segment three. Thank you for being with me today on Afternoons with Mike. Let's continue that interview with Lori Wildenberg. And then finally, to expect the unexpected. Um, our life, our kids' life, they, they're viewing things through the lens of social media. And they are expecting that, um, you know, that they're expecting everything to be happy. They kind of, happiness has become a real idol. They're expecting life mm-hmm. to be good. But they're going to have things that make them mad. They're going to have things that make them sad. They're going to grieve. They're going to have things that frighten them. But those are all common to everyone. Exactly. Those are common human experiences. Happiness, if we chase that, that's only a fourth of a life. If we aren't able to understand grief and sadness, we'll never get empathy. If, if we aren't able to experience anger, we may never be able to do some problem solving and, and righteous indignation on the behalf of someone else. Mm-hmm. These are good things. Fear, to let our child experience some fear, that's important because then they have an opportunity to be brave and courageous. So to expect the unexpected and have our kids expect that, and to know that social media, you're seeing just a snapshot of a moment. You're not seeing the before, you're not seeing the after. That's right. Well, these are really great, wonderful tools that you've given us in this simple little acronym of HOPE. But that's what you're doing here, and you're one of the speakers, right? Yes, yes, and I'm very excited to to be here. So my um, workshop on help your child overcome anxiety or depression will be tomorrow. And then um, the workshop that I did on the help my child's a prodigal, that actually happened yesterday. Oh, it's great to have you, Lori. I know you're busy and these are wonderful things. And our children today, they need all of the hand ups that we can give them. And uh, I, I appreciate what you're doing, not only to help them, but to help the parents and equipping the parents so that their kids can come out of this mess and arrive at hope. Yeah, that, that's the prayer. That is. Lori Wildenberg is my guest. Thank you, Lori, and have a great time tomorrow. Thanks. And if anyone needs any more information, you can find me at Lori, L-O-R-I, Wildenberg, Lori Wildenberg, W-I-L-D-E-N-B-E-R-G.com. That's great. Thanks again. Thanks so much, Mike. I have with me right now Rich Griffith. Rich, great to have you here. Thank you. Good to be here. Now, you're a Southerner. You're from Georgia. Yes, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all. I like it, Rich. Tell me what you do up there. Well, I am the professor of youth ministry at Toccoa Falls College, which is an accredited um, Christian college. Uh, We offer all kinds of degrees. Uh, My focus is youth ministry, but we're changing that to where folks can get a uh, bachelor's in ministry leadership with a concentration in youth ministry. And we're actually, I'm excited about this, we're developing our our curriculum now for multi-generational ministry. Well, that's wonderful. I think a lot of people, you have to realize, I was a youth pastor, you Uh have to realize that you're not going to do that for your entire life or career. And so having that be a, a specialized thing for those that are called into that that's a good thing then they've also got the other training that goes along behind that yeah, absolutely so i spent uh over 30 years exclusively in youth ministry you can have a career in it that's true i shouldn't have <laughs> uh, said no no it no that that's strongly. okay and i've worked with organizations like young life uh, parachurch organizations absolutely. churches and so for me god's called me to raise up the next generation of leaders in ministry but what we're discovering is that 
you know, most fa- there's an increasing number of well, we're, most churches still geared toward nuclear families, you know, which is a 1940s post World War II construct. Right. And but we have an increasing number of non-traditional or permeable families, and how are we as a church ministering to them? I'm a single dad of three adopted sons. And I'm telling you, um, it's easy for single parents and grandparents now to feel really left out because they don't fit into that nuclear family model. Mm-hmm. So, sorry, and, I jumped right in there. I apologize. Uh, no, that's that's <laughs> absolutely great. Uh, how all of that is playing out in our culture right now is making a big impact, absolutely. not only on the culture itself, but even in the church right now. Sure. And I, I know that you see this. A lot of churches are, are waking up and realizing that maybe we're just a bit behind in how to reach out to these single families, single parents that are out there. So my doctorate is in youth, family, and culture uh, with the illustrious Dr. Chap Clark from Fuller Theological Seminary. And so what I've discovered, too, is exactly what you're saying. I I see Christian students who come into a Christian college who who don't have a foundation of discipleship. It's shocking. You know, I'd expect that if you went to UGA or something like that. No, no offense to UGA, but I would expect that from a secular culture. Yeah, yeah. you're not expecting uh, necessarily a full-blown, grown-in, mature disciple at a university that's not a Christian university. Right, right. And we're discovering a lot of our young people still come in with a lot of hurt, uh, anxiety. I mean, think about trauma of COVID and what it's done. There's just a lot of what we call large T, large T and small T trauma things going on that are yeah. impacting individuals and an increasing rate of anxiety. Now, you brought up COVID, Rich. Mm-hmm. How did that Im- impact your ministry there mm-hmm. at the college? Sure. Well, we did a lot of online. Of course, we had a huge learning curve, right, on how do we bring the same quality of education. I also happen to oversee our online ministry leadership department. So for me, I was able to smooth into that a little bit easier. Uh, but just, you know, students and the anxiety of separation even. Uh, a lot of people go to college. Uh, they either choose to do online because they're working uh, and doing that and raising a family, or they like the face-to-face interaction. Well, the, the students who like face-to-face interaction and learn better that way, it was a real struggle for them. Mm-hmm. And so uh, opening things back up has been a real blessing for them too. I, I should also mention I'm still a part-time youth pastor. Well, that's great. So I put experience with it. (laughs) Yeah, that's wonderful. And I'm grateful that you are. I want you to know I love that. I think every youth pastor that spends any time at all, uh, that's in their heart and DNA for the rest of their lives. And and so you spent time in youth ministry. I did. How many years did you do that? I started off in, uh, well, full time, uh, probably about seven years, something like that, five years. Uh, but but longer uh, as a volunteer. Right, right. So I started volunteering back. Oh my goodness, uh, maybe maybe five or six years even before I went into ministry. Wow. Well, bless you for doing yeah. that because volunteers, good volunteers, are becoming increasingly more difficult to find. And the other added thing with with my background was I was a musician, and oh. so I was part of that. I got to be part of that early onset worship development model that youth ministries were doing and and that was a lot of fun to get oh, to yeah, do that so yeah. wow, but, the golden years of youth ministry <laughs> yeah it's great uh, the camps the conventions yeah. all of those things yeah. i got my first gray hairs yes. uh, at a youth camp uh you know so i i get it i know yeah. it now tell me what you're doing here at d6 so uh i did a breakout group presentation on the realities of single parenting like i mentioned i'm a a single dad of three adopted kids. And I'll be honest with you, it's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And I've done some hard things. 
But uh, frankly, I'm trying to help people to see, you know, family ministry is so hard to define because it's all over that there's different models. And, but all of them are still geared toward nuclear family. So it's church and family. What I'm trying to push is church as family because what that does is help us to reach all families, permeable families, non-traditional families, traditional families, right? So we just need to think a little bit more on how we minister to fo- folks who don't fit the traditional ministry model. So really quick, I put it this way. Most pastors, if you think about it, as leaders of the church, they typically come from nuclear family models for the right reasons, right? But we tend to minister out of our empathy. And so the fact of the matter is we don't, a lot of pastors don't have empathy for these new permeable families. So I was at a church one time when I first adopted my first kid who came with more baggage than Paris Hilton. <laughs> and and it, I was exhausted, but they would have this, and it, it needs to happen. They would have every year two of these conferences, married people, big night out. And it was great. They would have married couples come in. They would speak in their life. They'd take care of the kids, feed them. Wonderful evening. And I'm exhausted on staff. And I looked at my colleague and I said, this is great. We need to keep this up. When will we have something like this for single parents? The response was, well, we're not ready to do that yet. That's 15 years ago. They still haven't had one. Isn't that something? So it, it hurts. It yeah. hurts for single pe- yeah. people. Yeah, this is a real need, and it is a growing need, obviously, in the culture in which we live today. Uh, we've all heard those stats that say the divorce rate among uh, Christians, not much better than the world. Exactly, yeah. And that's causing all kind of trauma with our young people too, right? There's a, now a lack of stability. So single moms, for instance, I, I never had a... I have more empathy now for single moms because they make 70% of what a man makes, right? And so our economy, as you know, is driven toward a two-income family. And so you've got a single mom who's making 70%, and she's trying to raise one, two, three children. And the church is trying to get them to do more programs and be involved. And the mom is just exhausted. Right. And, you know, and we see it, and we, we applaud people who adopt children. But what are we doing to support that? Look, not everybody's called to adopt or foster. But please support the parents who are. When mm-hmm. you see somebody being exhausted, at least sympathetically say, you look really tired. Can we take your children for a half a day and you just go rest? I'm getting emotional here. Oh, Sorry. that's great. Well, yeah. you're talking from a position of experience and, uh, like you said, a position of empathy. Yeah. And that, that's something that we need. Now, this conference really is aimed at helping churches and yes. maybe even waking some churches up. Yeah to the needs that parents are facing, and that would be all parents. Absolutely. And I think I've learned this from you, Rich, is that we need to always build in a a wider understanding or a definition of parenting because Mm. I think in my own mind, because my background was nuclear, I come from that perspective. Mm -hmm. That's my foundation. But we we love on people today, not because they're like us, because they are people of the Lord. Mm, They are people that God has made Mm. and they may be coming from a different background, different experience. You know, it's funny too, because there are scriptural contexts that way support more of the non-traditional family than the traditional family. Deuteronomy 6, right? That's as you go. And it's supposed to be done not only by the family, but the community, right? Uh, Then we talk about uh, how we're supposed to like raise our kids as we go. A lot of parents, even Christian parents, how do I disciple my children, right? So I do have a a little tool I can get to you if I can remember to do this on 15 easy ways to disciple your children as you go. And I do this oh, with my kids. Awesome. And it's really applicable and they're, they're easy to do. We've made discipleship too hard. 
Mm. We, you know, I love curriculums, right? We've got to have those. But sometimes it's just reading through the book of Psalms with your kid on the way to what I do. My child opens the Bible. We, we read through the book of Psalms. And what does that mean to you? We pray. I, of course, do that with my eyes open because I'm driving to school. And so after Thank a while, you for not shutting your eyes. <laughs> and after a while, I asked my 13-year-old, who has been through some an unbelievable trauma. And I'm like, so, Jamie, what are you learning from this? And I'm going to try not to get choked up here. He said, Dad, there's this pattern in the Psalms. You know how 13 does a little sarcastically, right? He's like, okay, so I go through these tough times. Where are you, God? And then it ends with, okay, so, God, you're here and praise you, right? And this is a kid who's been through trauma, and this is where I get choked up. He looks at me, Dad, he said, Dad, what this means to me and what I discovered is that God will never leave me. Right. For oh, a kid that's a come promise. out of foster care and abuse. Wow. What a significant 13-year-old revelation. Now, for a parent, single mm. or otherwise, hearing their child have such a revelation as that, that's payday, right? Amen. Amen. It's great. So, How can people get in touch with you? Well, they can contact me at the college email, which is rwgriffith at tfc, like Tango Fox Trout Charlie, or Tacoa Falls College, <laughs> dot edu. And I'll give my cell number, too. I'm not opposed to doing that, although i got a screen for, you know, those those calls you get, right? Yeah, right. Uh, oh, you mean your car Wanting to make sure your car warranty is in good shape, right? We have a joke about yeah. that in our family, but yes. Uh, so my cell number is, uh, and it's probably better to send a text first because it'd be easier for me to screen, right? Yeah. But my cell number is 678-662-9230, or again, rwgriffith.tfc.edu. From one of the prettiest areas in all of Georgia, Toccoa Falls, thank mm-hmm. you for coming. Thank you for having me. It's been Real great privilege. to talk with you, brother. Thank you. God bless. Thanks for, thanks for your ministry. And that wraps up all of my interviews from the D6. I've so enjoyed getting to know these authors and speakers and leaders from around the country. Hope you have too. Thanks again for being with me one more time here on Afternoons with Mike across the Shepherd Radio Network.